There's no place like home for the holidays or homedepot.com for holiday decor with Black Friday prices inside and out. Like artificial Christmas trees starting at just $39.98 or outside lights and playful inflatables to bring joy to the neighborhood. Order holiday decor online and you'll even get free delivery. Holiday decorating improved with an assortment of holiday decor plus free online delivery from homedepot.com. How doers get more done while supplies last. This is No BS Job Search Advice Radio, episode 1613. I'm your host, Jeff Alpin, the Big Game Hunter, and welcome. I'd like to spend some time daily talking with you about some element of job search. And I've been using my Sunday show in order to, well, shall we say, revisit episodes of my other podcast, Job Search Radio, which I discontinued a few months ago. And doing this well, I'm bringing back long-form interviews that I did. This one is with the doc- I'm sorry, with Dr. Adrian McIntyre, who it was a fascinating interview about telling stories and how to construct them. Hope you find this helpful and give it a great review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to the show. Give it a good write-up, please. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I put a lot of time and effort. And I'm hoping to help even more people in the end of 2019 and into the new year. And right now you're listening to the number one podcast in Apple Podcasts about job search. Share it. You don't have to to leave a review, although I'd like one. Share it. It's that simple. And with that, let's get going. So my guest today is Dr. Adrian McIntyre, a cultural anthropologist and business communications coach who's worked in over 30 countries. He advises and trains entrepreneurs, freelance professionals, and corporate teams on effective communication and the art of storytelling. Storytelling! It's story time, right? Oh, boy. Adrian, welcome to Job Search Radio. Great to have you with me today. Jeff, I'm excited to be here. I think we'll have some fun. I hope so, because there's nothing more fun than stories. So when I think of stories, I think about that time years ago. My son was uh, like knee high, and it was time to go to bed, and he was bouncing off of walls. And I had to kind of slow him down a little bit and would make up a story. Now, we can't be talking about that. (laughs) We have to be talking about story time and job hunting. Right. Well, it's amazing, actually. It's a, such a great thing you said, if you think about it. So when you needed to slow him down and get him to tune in and settle down, you told him a story. So the same thing works in business. The same thing works in interviewing. The same thing works in networking. Now, the story may not be the Three Little Pigs or Little Red Riding Hood or you know whatever the stories you were reading to your kids, but the same phenomenon happens. It's really quite amazing. No matter how old someone is, when their brain tunes into a story, they become as rapt as a child. Uh, in fact, and we'll get into this a little bit, the same brain chemistry is activated and they're clinging on your every word. What happens next? Uh, you know, do they get away from the dragon? And when you use that technique in business, uh, it produces amazing connections with people, which lead to results. Fabulous. So let's use the networking scenario. 
You, know, yeah. you, you raise that as a possibility. We'll get to interviewing later on. But in a networking scenario, you know, how do you work a story in? You know, meeting someone for the first time or at some version of a networking event. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? What do you do? Right. The dreaded, what do you do question? I mean, I, I, it's amazing just for a little context here. Uh, I, I've been saying now for a while that if you want to instantly turn the most educated, articulate, competent professional into a frightened, blubbering fool, ask them two direct questions. Who are you and what do you do? And the more creative and kind of outside the box the person is, the harder time they're going to have answering the question, the more panic you'll see in their eyes uh, as they try it. It's like, oh, man, now I've got to somehow deliver this thing. So for starters, just know that everybody's doing the same thing at a networking event. People are there because they want to meet people. They want to you know, get leads or connections, referrals, whatever the thing is. But it's got to start with a connection, First, nothing happens in business or in life unless there's a connection first. So how you answer that question, um, you know, is, uh, is it matters. And, you know, probably it's not going to work to just give a rote practiced elevator speech because we're all now a little, you know, it's 2016. We've all been to those seminars or read those books and everybody's sort of in their mind. They'll go, okay, here we go. Well, you know how X, well, I help Y to do so that they can now having some campaign. Let's ditch the pitch. (laughs) Ditch the pitch. I, I wanted to write an entire book at one point. I didn't do it. I probably won't called never pitch in an elevator just because it's the worst possible uh you know environment connect everywhere uh but never pitch in an elevator never pitch in the you know first 60 seconds that you're opening your mouth to somebody connect so how do you do that well it sort of depends there's a lot of different ways that you can in fact probably the most effective networkers are the ones that don't have a single crutch that they're clinging to with white knuckles, you know, hoping to make it work over and over again. They're more relaxed, they're more open, and they're able to adapt what they say to the environment. Now, here's the amazing thing. What they're essentially asking you when someone says, what do you do, is tell me something interesting. But we don't think of it like that. We generally think of it like, how do I impress this person? How do I somehow, uh, you know, make their eyes widen a little bit? The best and, way to do that I is... I want them to bask in my magnificence, Adrian. I want right. them to bow before me. I, listen, I, I understand. I'm a man. I want that too. But at some point, we have to, you know, recognize that there's... Um, so again, before I answer that, what do, what do you do in the networking event? Let me give another little piece of context. So I want to talk for a second about the human brain because the person you're talking to, depending on the level of alcohol that may have been consumed at this event, has a functioning brain. And it's important to know uh, essentially how that brain works. Um, Daniel Goleman uh, wrote some great stuff uh, about the brain. And actually, he's not even the one I was thinking of. Dan Siegel is the guy I want to talk to you about. Goleman was the uh, the multiple intelligence guy. Dan Siegel wrote some great books about um, child rearing. And he has this wonderful concept in there where he distinguishes between the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain. And what he means by that is um, the the part of us that we most think makes us human, this upstairs brain, is the higher order thinking, the rationality, the verbal 
prowess, all of the the ability to 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 produce complex I, abstract ideas. That's a uniquely human phenomenon. The downstairs brain we have in common with all other mammals. It's more survival oriented. It's uh, it's where the fight or flight response comes from. Now this is a crude metaphor because brains are complex. But here's the interesting thing. So if you were to think of this like, um, you know, I taught for 11 years at the University of California, Berkeley, and uh, imagine for a second a building that has all the computer science nerds kind of upstairs in the attic and the frat party downstairs, right? The football team is downstairs. Again, unfortunate characterization. Sorry, guys. But in order to get upstairs to talk to the rational, logical brain, you've got to get through the football team. This means that you have to speak in a way that grabs people's attention, that is unique and different, that makes them stop their carousing and tune in and pay attention. In other words, it's the unique, the vivid, the compelling, the you know something that stands out that makes people tune in. So whatever you say, it's got to start by being interesting. And remember... This has been said on the show countless times. What's most interesting to people is them, not you. So however you answer this question, it's got to be in a way that sparks their interest and has the upstairs rational brain say, oh, I got to pay attention here. I might be needed. And storytelling is a way to do that. Telling a good story makes you seem more credible, but it also has people tune in and pay attention. It's a great point that you make because, folks, I have to tell you, for many of you, you're boring. You know, you're like everyone else's resume. You're like everyone else's presentation. And thus, people don't know how to distinguish themselves from you. How can you tell the difference? How can you stand out from the pack? And frankly, do you really want to be one of many or one of few? And I think most of you want to be one of few rather than trying to be in that big lake with a million fish going, hey, hey, over here, over here. You know what happens to to the huge school of fish is that a mechanized process involving a giant net comes along and scoops everybody up. You want to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, Absolutely. So in constructing the story, in in trying to get that attention from the listener, how do you put the story together? Well, it starts with with something that would interest them. So in the case of networking, I I recommend a a two-sentence story. Uh, The first sentence has got to be about a struggle that they could relate to or at least whether because they can relate to it from their own point of view or because they they know people who have this struggle and then the second sentence uh, is your the solution so for example if i were to um, just make something up here off the cuff about storytelling i might say uh, if somebody said hey so adrian uh, what do you do i might say well you know i i've observed that lots of people in business, whether it's the founder of the company, uh, you know, team manager, or the, the rank and file employees who are doing the work that makes the business money, they all struggle to achieve the level of success that they truly want, both for themselves and for the business, because they simply haven't been taught how to tell stories in a powerful, compelling way. 
And I might stop there. I might not go rush straight into the solution and just wait and see if the person I'm talking to can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And right there in the moment, I'm going to make a decision about what I say next. So it's not a scripted thing. If they go, oh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. But tell, you know, tell me more. They might tell you something. That, oh, that's true. I just met a guy the other day. You never know where the conversation is dynamic. So again, being equipped with the ability not only to tell a good story, but to listen as you're doing it so you know where to go next. So someone might say something like, oh, that's, that's interesting. How do you do that? And then I might say, well, I have a, a simple process that helps them, number one, connect with their own story, and then two, begin to tell stories about themselves, their work, and why it matters in a way that people find interesting and compelling, and they want to learn more. And the person probably says, well, I want to learn more, and then we'll just go off and have a, have a conversation. Or they might say, how'd you get started with that? And then there's more. And we're going to be back with more from Adrian in just a moment. But first, a word from me. Okay, we're back and let's pick up where we left off with Adrian. So we're in the middle of this story. And what we're really doing is trying to find something provocative to draw them in and then seeing how they respond. So using the fishing metaphor from before, we're casting the line in the water and seeing if there's a nibble. If there's a nibble, we go in for more. If not, what happens next? Let it go, right? Let it go. Ask them something. Say, uh, so, you know, if this is my first time at this event, uh, who, who have you met here that's, uh, that's really cool or different? Or uh, tell what's the story here? What goes on at these kind of things? You know, whatever. It's just This now becomes the art of small talk rather than the art of trying to force your thing on somebody, right? Um, at the end of the day, being relaxed, um, you know, not being too, too, um, too focused on what you want is always a good idea in business and in life. You know, one of, one of the things that uh, I learned when I was doing psychoanalytic training was the importance of being an acute listener to looking mm-hmm. for what's said and what isn't said and, and noticing the difference. Yes. So I can see clearly in the networking event, you know, you notice someone's eyes looking off to a side and you know they're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> so you're looking for all sorts of cues to know whether to go in further, not just what they're saying, but what their behavior is telling you too. Are they yeah. starting to turn a little bit to the side and, you know, kind of peek or, you know, give, give the signal one minute to someone else? Right, <laughs> exactly. So they're having that look of desperation, like someone come and save me. <laughs> but, and make sure, by the way, do whatever you can to not be that person, right? Amen. I, I, I will say this networking is a is a is a tough racket because if you go there uh for what it's expressly designed for I think you'll struggle but if you go there to to have fun see what happens meet a few people and remember meeting one person that's actually worth following up with makes the whole night it's not I mean you might have a different perspective for me anyway it's not a numbers game the number I'm looking for is 1 and then if there's more than one, fantastic. Uh, the, with storytelling, the, the other side of it too is uh, when you can draw people out and have them begin to tell you their story and you can listen you know, it, with, with uh, curiosity, the same way as our kids listen to you know, the, the fairy tales and so on, you can leave them with the impression that, y- that you are a very interesting person and you said almost nothing. So... Maybe they're maybe they don't take 
the hook that you offered. They weren't interested for whatever reason. I might then immediately get them talking. So, um, you know, enough about me. Tell me about you. And then one of the first things I'll ask is, well, that's, that's interesting. How did that start? What, what made you, how did you end up here uh, doing that thing? Tell me more about that. What, what were you doing before? Wow. And now that's quite a big leap. That must have taken some courage. Tell me about that. How's that gone? In other words, I'm not only telling stories, but I'm eliciting stories from the others. And then that's what I'll follow up with if we end up exchanging business cards and say, you know what, this is really, let's, I think there's something here. Let's, let's talk more next week. Then I'll, then I'll just make a note on the back of the card and says, find out more about how they started their software project. And I've got a place to start the next conversation. And folks, if you didn't notice, there was a couple, there were a couple of things that uh, Adrian did here. One, did you notice how his speech cadence slowed down a little bit? Very, very subtle. But if you notice the difference from the beginning of the show till now, there were little pauses fractionally longer between sentences designed to draw people in. Very clever. And I suspect that's completely unconscious at this part of the point is part of your personality and makeup. Perfect. It's it's practiced. That's one thing I will say. Nobody's born being a great communicator. Uh, and you know, I was I was fortunate to be to be raised by a couple of really great communicators. My mom was an educator. My dad was a professional radio broadcaster. It was a nonprofit radio station. So we were always out as a family raising money. So even as a little kid, I'd be on stage and there'd be my dad speaking and then people would come up and meet us. We had a radio show that, that we produced at home uh, starting in 1978 when I was five. And uh, I know you're doing the math now, people in your minds, I'm 42, so they can stop the math. Um, so yeah, thank you. And it was, um, it's something that th- these little habits uh, whether it's the cadence, as you say, or the tone. One of the things is, uh, you know, research shows that people who are seen to be more influential tend to speak more in lower tones. And you notice I'm doing that right now. I've just dropped my voice a little bit into a lower register. Now, if your register uh, may not be as low as mine, but whatever low is for you, when you talk there, you just seem more relaxed more comfortable. When we're nervous, and if you have to do any kind of cold calling, first of all, I'm sorry. And second of all, you know, you, you have to overcome the tendency to say, hi, this is uh, Adrian McIntyre. I'm just calling today um, to speak with uh, the owner. Is, uh, is she available? Can I talk now? That just signals desperation, nervousness, weakness. So you can practice these things, breathing, tone, speed, um, and have a lot of fun with it. You're absolutely right. Um, I don't want to ignore interviewing. Uh, because interviewing is probably the, one of the best places for storytelling and, yeah. and the one where most of you will be most practiced with it and have the greatest opportunities because I know the truth. You're not going out there and doing a lot of networking groups anymore. You'd rather stay right. online. Wrong behavior, but that's the reality to it. So I want to get to the interview phase with, with Adrian while we have him so that this way you could be well rehearsed for that setting. So we've got the interview. Yes. And you know, I, I did a show recently with someone where we came up with what I call the Italian recipe. Uh, it's PARM. Problem, action, result, metrics. A basic Great. formula for, you know, how you cook up, uh, how you talk about what you've done. Now, hopefully, you're going to provide the texture for the recipe. And we're not talking about 
TVP or whatever it is, texture, texturized <laughs> vegetable protein oh, or something horrendous, horrendous like that. We turns out that stuff good, is very bad for you. We want the good gravy on top. Right. <laughs> so it's great. Gravy. I love that uh, problem, action, results, metrics. Wonderful thing. And if you were to take that and put it into the world of story, you just need to add a few additional components. So let me give you some ingredients. Since we're cooking, uh, let me give you some ingredients to work with. So these are uh, there. There are what I might call structural ingredients. They're necessary to make the thing wor- work, hold together. And then there's the spice. Okay. So let's start with structure first. Uh, every story, whether it's uh, you know, whether it begins once upon a time, there was a princess in a castle or um, what well, I was working at Microsoft on the quality assurance project, such and such, whatever has to have a scene. Okay. When and where, and without providing that in, in the beginning of your story, the listener will be a bit lost trying to locate this in time. So don't make her struggle. Just, just tell her, right? So when and where that sets the scene. Um, you know, in in, uh, in 1995, I was making a move from this company to this company to work in the such and such department. If you could say something physical about the scene, that's even better. You don't have to, but it's always better. I walked in on the first day, and I was there's a huge room with cubicles as far as you could see. Okay, now we're both in the story as it's happening. One of the magic properties of story, by the way, is that it takes something that happened. And turns it into something that's happening in the mind of the listener. So you got to have the scene, when and where. Then every good story needs characters. So that's the who. Okay, You're obviously one of them if you're telling a personal story. But all stories don't have to be a story about you. You could be telling a story about a problem. You could be telling a story about the company itself. You could be telling a story about a product. Make the company or the product or the problem a character in the story. Right, you've got a lot of license to work with here. Um, the characters have to be relatable. So, if the story is a story about a problem, make that problem relatable. Right? Um, literally, just this morning, I've got uh, a 16-month-old son named Kieran and a, and a three-and-a-half-year-old son named Lachlan, and both boys have been sick. They've been throwing up. They were, you know, not feeling well. And so this morning, I was sitting down, holding them one under each arm on the couch, watching uh, a little cartoon on TV. It's this wonderful thing I had never seen before called "Room on the Broom," and it's about a witch and her cat. And they keep adding more animals to the broom until there's not enough room. And at one point, a dragon enters the story. And this literally was this morning, and. Both boys, as soon as they saw the dragon, even the 16-month-old, who's never seen a dragon, doesn't have an elaborate mythology around dragons, just kind of went like this, you know, tightened up, pulled back. And that's because, you know, every good story will have an, a challenge or an obstacle, some threat. There's got to be something at stake. Now, so we're with ingredients. We've got our when and where, that's the scene. We've got our who, that's the characters. And then we need the what happened, that's the action. Right. And it's important to remember that there's what's happening in the story in the visible world, the external struggle, the fire breathing dragon showed up. Right. Then there's what happened in the invisible world, the internal struggle, the suspense, the anxiety, what the characters are going through in the course of that action. And then, of course, that's what provides the drama in a story. The drama comes from the emotion, not from the action. 
That's important to remember. And when you're telling a story, um, you'll need to actually say what the emotion is. Now, the amazing thing is the person who's hearing it will translate your words about that emotion into the feeling and they'll have that experience themselves. So, um, and I don't know if you've ever, back to the made up story, I'm jumping around a little bit here, sorry, but so I don't know if you've ever walked in on the first day of something and just felt that knot in your stomach. My heart was beating a little bit fast. My palms were sweaty and I was really worried, you know, am I going to be able to pull my weight around here? Everywhere I looked seemed to be people that were just desperately competent at everything. And I, you know, I knew that I was good at what I'd been hired to do, but man, in this high pressure environment, I wasn't sure I was going to pull it off. You're sharing the emotion, the drama. That's what makes it real. That's what makes you real. And if you're not doing that, you're not telling a good story. Then, of course, there's the outcome, the resolution, what happened. And I want to get to that in one second, but I just want to check on something. I'm pretty yeah. sure I know the answer, but do you find that there are gender differences in their ability to deliver such a story? Well, maybe, maybe as matters of habit, but certainly not as matters of biology. Now, the male brain and female brains are wired differently. In fact, there's a lot of interesting studies about that. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a shared human phenomenon. So, you know, some persons might have developed a different skill set because of the environment, expectations, what they were told they could and couldn't do. But at the end of the day, no, I don't think there's a fundamental um, uh, there's a necessary difference in terms of gendered storytelling. What did you What did you have in mind? Well, there's the classic men from Mars, women from Venus. So th- that's the cultural you know, stereotypes that exist yeah. in America anyway. But I find many men find it difficult to tell stories because they've been transformed from thinking, feeling beings into, I don't want to call them robotic, but I'll call them less thinking, less feeling beings. You know, they, they are far more cognitively oriented. So sometimes yeah. it's harder for men to tell stories and to provide the, the texture that's necessary to really deliver the story well. Mm. And again, without being too stereotypical, uh, women are more practiced, at least most of the women that I've, I've met professionally and personally. Well, here's what I will say. I think, first of all, this is a, a very, it's a fascinating um, issue to grapple with. And uh, regardless of one's biological equipment, okay, one needs to overcome a variety of things that one has probably um, begun to believe are true in order to be effective. And that applies as equally to men, women, and everything in between. And the stereotypes certainly have a certain uh, force to them because you know, we start to believe our own, our own cultural mythology about the differences between men and women. Uh, it turns out men are not from Mars and women are not from Venus. They're all from planet Earth, but that's a whole other riff. Um, in any case, what I would say is, yes, men who have um, been taught that rationality and certain force of character are the high status modes to operate in will need to unlearn some of that to become more connected, more empathetic, 
more ability, you know, to have the ability to, to tap into their own emotional uh, architecture. They have one that's just maybe dusty and got some cobwebs that need to get cleared out. Um, at the same time, uh, if, if, a, if a woman has been socialized in an environment where uh, she was told that logic and reason were not the domain of women, then she'd clearly have to work against that. I think we're all in this together at the end of the day. And in fact, telling better stories about the ways in which we were raised is probably what's going to help us all out of that uh, stereotypical mess. And I want to address the stereotypes because frankly, everyone knows them. And yeah. I'll simply yeah. say, it's kind of like dealing with fear. So you're afraid. And you still have to do it. So right. you've been conditioned this way, and this works better. <laughs> so like so many things in life, it takes practice. It takes practice with someone who can give you a degree of feedback as to how you're being seen and how the story is coming across to them. And if you take that and practice it, you will discover maybe not the first time, but the third, fourth time when you're starting to get more conscious of some of the nuances because you're getting the good feedback, you will start delivering stories far better and get much better results than just trying to stick with rote recitation. Yes, absolutely. Let me tell you something. So I want to stick with our cookbook metaphor for a second. Um, and so we talked about some basic ingredients, all right? Uh, the the um the scene the relatable characters the action the drama the emotional component uh, and then you know the the resolution which can include um the uh the lesson you learned the insight you had the decision you made that took your life in a different direction the impact uh etc um so those are ingredients when it comes to putting stories together um i think it's important like with cooking to recognize that you have a lot of different um, categories of dish, you know your um, your uh, your salads, your grains, your fish, your meat. You know, there's like different categories, and so I want to tell you a few categories of stories. There's the um, who I am stories. There's the what I do stories. There's the what I stand for stories, which demonstrates something that in terms of values or character or you know, uh, commitment, right? By the way, these apply to individuals, but they also apply to, to, uh, to an organization, who we are, what we do, what we stand for. Then um, again, for uh, in business, there are founding stories, um, you know, how a company was created, uh, how an idea was born. There are um, product stories, you know, thinking back to, of course, one of the greatest storytellers of the 20th and early 21st century, Steve Jobs, the moment he pulled that first um, iPod out of his jeans pocket and said, held it up and said, we put 100,000 songs in your pocket. That's a little story. Uh, you know, and he had led up to that with, um, you know, kind of building the background of what else is available and what's good about it, what doesn't work. But when he got to that point, now we have a character, this new device, this gorgeous thing, and it puts 100,000 songs in your pocket. You know, the, you're, you're able to imagine yourself as the hero in that story. That story wasn't actually about the device. It was about the kind of person who could walk around with 100,000 songs in their pocket. Just masterful way of putting that together. Gotcha. So we've got all these categories. And then the final thing I'll say about this cookbook is uh, there are recipes. And the recipes are 
plot structures or themes that you can use. And um, this is something, by the way, in the, in the world of uh, fiction or screenwriting that a lot of attention has been uh, devoted to. And people argue about how many plots there are. Uh, a guy named Christopher Booker wrote a book called The Seven Basic Plots. Uh, Ronald Tobias wrote a book called 20 Master Plots and How to Build Them. A guy named uh, uh, Georges Polti wrote something called The 36 Dramatic Situations, as if these are the only ones. So I've sort of selected from those. They're not all relevant uh, to the world of business, but I'll give you a few of these plots and you'll recognize them because you know them from films, you know them from other things. But one of the, one of the basic plots we might as well just call Conquering the Monster. This is the good versus evil plot, the individual versus the corporation or the system or the government. Um, this is a person versus their fate or destiny, uh, a person versus another person, right? Person versus technology. In any case, we've got this conquering the monster plot. Um, See another, David and Goliath. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now that's a, a, um, a twist on that. Uh, narrative, which I ha have as its own separate category called the underdog. Ah. Uh, and of course, the underdog, which is a version of conquering the monster, right, is also the primary plot of almost every sports movie that's ever been made. Um, it's the, you know, it's the plot of the nerd who ends up getting the girl, et cetera, et cetera. So there's enough richness to that one. I, I pulled it out and, and made it its own category, the underdog. But you're absolutely right. Uh, another another story kind of master plot is the epic journey, um, the quest, which is like a physical journey or the voyage and return. You know, we went into a foreign land, we faced troubles there and we came back changed. Um, it, again, <laughs> mapping this into the world of business simply means figuring out, well, what's the foreign land going to be? Uh, it, maybe it was the trade show, right? I don't know. Uh, you could tell a story about the time we went to the trade show, we faced great difficulties, and we came back transformed. Maybe you failed. By the way, failure makes much more interesting stories than success ever does. And interestingly enough, a person who can confidently uh, tell a story about their own failure leaves people with the um, almost implicit understanding that they are, in fact, a success. Hmm. It's just an amazing thing. If you're able to talk about your lowest points, your your own um, darkness, your own despair, and talk about it in a way that shows, uh, you know, a, a kind of a story arc. And there I was at the bottom, and then I, you know, I had to put this together. Even if you haven't yet succeeded, you're still in the process. You give the impression of somebody who's, uh, you know, in the game, fighting the good fight. Um, and so on. Anyhow, I've got a bunch more of these. Is this is this helpful? Is this interesting to talk I, I about? I think this is great, and we're starting to come up on the end of our time with one another. Yes. So, in in the limited time that we have left, what other what other story categories exist? So I'll tell you one of two, two of my favorites. Um, first one is the defining moment. Now this has got this has got everything that you need to tell a great story because it always usually happens somewhere, even if it's a mental struggle. You know, I was sitting on the couch wrestling with this dilemma. Um, it could be the showdown, right? It could be another version of the defining moment. Um, it doesn't have to have gunslingers and a tumbleweed, but if you start telling a showdown story, people will know that know that framework. Um, the tough choice. 
another type of that, right? So that's the defining moment. And then um, another one, which I think is really great, I'll just call the transformation. And this could be um, a story of, of growing up, a story of coming of age, a story of, um, you know, uh, um, the Christmas Carol with Scrooge uh, is a story of transformation. Mean, stingy old dude has these dreams. The ghosts show him past, present, and future. He wakes up transformed. He's now a, a caring, giving person. Being able to tell these stories about ourselves means being able to acknowledge the stingy, miserly, or whatever qualities we might have had before something had us come to terms with that, a reckoning, and then we turned ourselves around. These stories have epic qualities. Even if you're telling them about ordinary, everyday things in your life, and by the way, these, these stories need to be true when you tell them. Um, it's not that you're adding in drama that wasn't there. It's more that these plots help you find the drama in the story that you actually lived and communicated in a way that makes a deep connection with someone else. Adrian, this is fabulous, and there's so much rich material here. Uh, I wish we had hours of time, and we don't. <laughs> Indeed. So, well, every story has a beginning, middle, and an end, and we have come to the end. <laughs> but we made a great dish. Yes. That's the nice thing about it. So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few more ways to get more from me. First of all, visit my website, which is TheBigGameHunter.us. I have more than 6,000 blog posts there that you can watch, listen to, or read that will help you find your next job. If you want the best of my advice, join JobSearchCoachingHQ.com, where I've curated information with a focus on interviewing. If you decide to take the lifetime membership at the site, it's $299 currently, but that's the price of a coaching session or an hour of coaching from me, and I'll be giving that to you if you join with a lifetime membership. Have a few questions? Contact me through the Magnify app for iOS or PrestoExperts.com where you can call me. Schedule a specific time with me through chat on Magnify or by connecting with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Once we're connected on LinkedIn, you can message me about coaching you, scheduling and time for Magnify or Presto Experts. Speak with me about a resume or LinkedIn profile critique, help you with a salary negotiation or my trusted advisor services, and much, much more. Like you, I don't work for free. I do charge for what I do. You can take my classes on Skillshare and become a premium member using the link in the show notes and receive two months for free instead of just the one that the site offers. Skillshare offers thousands and thousands of courses, not just simply mine, on a host of different subjects that can help you in many different ways. Lastly, join my group on Facebook called Career Angles. It's free to the first 250 people who join and is focused on helping you do better at work. Information is shared daily and we're attempting to build a supportive group there. Ask to join. I'm not letting recruiters in at this point. So I'll be back tomorrow with more. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great day. Be great.
ready to ride Metro, we want you to know we're ready for you. Here are just a few of the people at Metro to tell you how we're doing our part to keep riders safe. We're cleaning like never before, but hospital grade cleaning. You'll find hand sanitizer stations all over the Metro. No mask, no Metro. Need one? We have a few extras. At Metro, we're doing our part to keep the D.C. area moving. Find out more at wmata.com slash doing our part. This is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. This Thanksgiving, think outside the oven and get Thanks Grilling with Ace. Get a new grill and choose from top brands like Traeger, Weber, and Big Green Egg to add even more flavor to your Thanksgiving turkey, side dishes, and desserts. Plus, right now, get free assembly and delivery on all grills and accessories $3.99 and up. For the best help on the best grills, stop by your local Ace and get Thanks Grilling. Ace Rewards members only through December 24th. See participating stores for scheduling or exclusions.